0: us the power to build a building on a hill that stands for something in the community. That we're not afraid to stand up for what we believe in and tell the lawmakers and the rulers in this nation and every other nation in the world, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He's coming back. And you better repent of your sins or you're going to answer for them. Welcome to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. The same way that God saved Noah and his family, only God could save had it not been for God's work, had it not been for God's kindness and his mercy and his grace, to explain to Noah how he could grab hold of the very same existing laws of nature that would kill him, being that humans don't breathe underwater but by helping him harness the law and get over on top of the law instead of being beneath it Noah discovered through the beautiful plans given to him from God on how to build an ark that had never been built before and then because of a tool or a means out of a particular kind of wood with instructions from God Noah was able to build and fabricate a tool that would harness the law of buoyancy and allow him to come above a law of nature that would kill anyone else who did not come above it and there is a beautiful allegory there that's very deliberate and it is on purpose because when they asked the Lord Jesus what will it be like in the last days he said "It will be exactly as it was in the days of Noah and the metaphorical teaching that the Bible is giving us is very much accurately paralleled to the relationship you have with grace that you can't save yourself, so to speak. Noah couldn't save himself. Noah would not have known how to construct an ark out of wood had God not given him the supernatural instructions or directions on a pathway of escape. So Noah was saved by grace from God. It actually says in the Scripture that Noah found grace in the sight of God. And so Noah didn't do anything other than receive instructions and follow them. And God was the master who saved him from death. Can you say amen? And that's true of you. But now notice the the parallel because so many people are in a ditch on works and they think, you're not supposed to try to earn your way to heaven, Pastor Carey. so you, you can't talk about behavior because if you talk about behavior, then you're saying, I've got to earn my way to heaven. This is just nonsense. What would have happened had Noah received by the grace of God? Noah found grace in the sight of God, didn't he? How? How, how did he find grace? He found grace in the sight of God by God handing him the plans on how to build a tool and that tool would allow him to rise above what would otherwise kill him and float above it. The law of buoyancy helped them work in harmony with floods and with waters. And those who didn't cooperate with the law of God that had been established in nature and creation, those who stayed in disharmony with the laws of nature and nature's God died. You can't be in disharmony with the laws of nature and nature's God. And by grace We are allowed to rise above those destructive forces because of the fall, because of sin that would otherwise kill us and come up above. And it doesn't abolish the law, it just puts us in harmony with the law. And this is the allegory, this is the picture of what grace does. Noah found grace in the sight of God. How did he find it? We found it in plans on construction. Now, what would have happened had Noah said, Well, I'm not going to earn, I can't earn my salvation, God? I, it's not of works lest I should boast, so, you know, I'm not going to be able to build that ark or anything, because then I would just be in works. What would happen? Well, he'd, he would have drowned. His kids would have drowned. His wife would have drowned. All of Noah's family would have perished with everyone else if they had perverted the message of grace. They would have perished. And so grace, in every single instance of Scripture, grace always utilizes natural tools, Grace is supernatural. The plans, the understanding, the intellectual ability to, to understand how to construct a boat was something Noah didn't have. They didn't have class on that. Didn't, you didn't, couldn't go to Western Iowa Tech and learn how to build a canoe. I mean, they didn't, they didn't teach you that stuff. There, there, were no, there was no math that we know of that existed at that time that would explain the laws of physics in such a way that you know how thick the wood ought to be and, and how much pitch and tar to use you know, because of the pressure when it goes so deep. I mean, they wouldn't have known that. God reached down and gave him information that would save his family. And they asked Jesus, Jesus, what's it going to be like at the end when the whole world is about to end as we know it and and great terrors are coming on the earth? What's it going to be like, Lord? How are we going to know? What sign are we going to see that tells us, oh, Jesus is coming back now. Get ready. Jesus is coming back. What are we going to need to look for, Jesus, to know when you're coming back? And Jesus says this, it's going to be like it was in the times of Noah. Now, there's a lot of meaning there because, number one, it means true preachers will be heavily disliked, not popular. True prophets will not be popular. That's what it means because Noah was not popular. The vast majority of people will reject the true message of a prophet of a man of God that gives plans on how to work in harmony with God's law so you don't die. That's indicative of the last days when Christ is returning. The true prophets will have a plan. It is a natural plan. It is a tool. And if you will do it right, if you will work and you will cooperate with the law of God by His grace because He gave the plan, you'll rise above what would otherwise kill you. So true preachers will not be popular, it will be as it was in the days of Noah. Secondly, God will always use a means, a tool. And in the same way that a wooden boat was the means of salvation, God saved them, but He used a means to do it. It will be true of this generation at the end, that God will save your soul and He wants to save your children and your children's children, but He will still use a means. And I can tell you what the means is, the means is the local church, and you cannot be saved outside the ark, and you will not be saved outside a relationship with the holy people of God in the church, because that's how grace functions. Grace flows sideways. And it's always been about trees, hasn't it? We've, we've gone over these themes. In the Garden of Eden, it was about a tree, there was a problem. The center of the garden was not Adam's property. He owned literally everything in the world, but God said of one tree in the center, in the middle, that's not yours, that's mine, don't bother that. It was always a question of will he use fallen dominion, dysfunctional dominion, where God is in second place. See, so this is the thing you have to know about Adam. He didn't have a priority list that was 50, 50 notches long and And he decided one day to throw God at number 51. He just put God in second position. That's all Adam did. God left first position and took second position. And it was about this tree. Speaking of trees, we move forward and and there was something about Noah had to use a a particular tree to save his family. It was a means. It was a tool. And then we, we get to Calvary, Mount Moriah, Golgotha. What did they do to the Son of God? The Son of God became the means, the tool of your salvation upon a wooden cross. It's always been about the tree. And then Jesus prophesies, I will build my church, and the very gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Do you know what that means? It means that if you are not in the church, the gates of hell will prevail against you. Extra ecclesiam nulla salis. Salvation comes from God. The church doesn't save you. The church is only here implementing the plans that we were given that are the means and tool He has decided in His sovereign will to use to save you. He is saving you through the church. And you can no more throw the church and discard it to the side and think that your personal salvation is all you need than any fool in town could have discarded the message of Noah and said, I don't need your boat. My house will be just fine. I live on a hill. Check that attitude at the door because it will take you to hell. What's it going to be like when you're coming back, Jesus? It'll be like it was in the days of Noah, Jesus says. So look around you. And it's always been about these trees, and that's what I'm bringing you to. It's not the people that they know it and I know it. God is like Priority number 51, you don't scare me. You really don't scare me. I can help you. I know how to help people like you. If you came to church this morning and God is somewhere way down the line in your priority list, I am not concerned. I know how to help you. The people that terrify me, I shudder to think about. The ones that it is so difficult for me to help. Are the ones that have God in second position. Because they have deceived themselves into believing He's in first position, but He isn't. Adam didn't put God in position 50, He put Him in position number two. And there are many, many principles that are seen by this center of your life, this tree in the middle. It says right there in Genesis, it was in the middle. The tree was in the middle. There's something about what is in the middle of your life. What are you in orbit around? You're in orbit around something. I know in American culture, during a certain period of the the growth of a family, pagan Americans are in orbit around sports. They're children's sports. It's the center of their garden they are in orbit around the public school in their town. If they get involved in politics, then they are in orbit around being on that board or making elected office. Then they're in orbit around their their achievement of stature in the community as one of the directors of of the board of education or or one of the county commissioners. Their whole life then becomes in orbit around their stature. If they find their niche and they're really good at woodworking, and woodworking is their skill, that's their gift. They can take a block of wood and they can make something beautiful. They make pretty chairs, they make beautiful furniture, they have a cabinet shop, they got their tools. Their entire life begins to orbit around what? That gift that they found, that they're good at, they profit by it, they can make money. If their gift is fixing automobiles or souping up old cars and restoring old sports cars. I enjoy that kind of thing. I love old cars. I used to rebuild engines and automatic transmissions. I've probably forgotten more than many people will ever know in their life about an automatic transmission. It is a complex piece of machinery with thousands of parts. I'm still sort of shuddering to think that I actually rebuilt several 350 Chevy automatic transmissions because they're just frightening and I couldn't do it now I wouldn't know what to do I've forgotten all of it but it's almost a memory game it's like you remember what shape goes with what and what ring comes next and you just sort of by doing it you just memorize how it goes together you can take it apart and string all the stuff all over the room and you can put it back together because you've done it so many times it's like uh, legos for adults It's really interesting. But if you get out of the habit and some years go by, you can't remember what ring goes first. I I promise if I tried to rebuild a 350 hydromatic transmission, it would explode. It would just go boom, and the car would go nowhere. And so you get good at something, or you learn a skill, or or you're going to go to college, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. And the center of your garden does not have God in it. You have done the same thing Adam did. You can get a life coach, you can go down to Barnes and Nobles and get all kinds of books, Woodworking for Dummies, Rebuilding Turbo Hydromatic, 350 Chevy, Transmissions for Dummies. You can get a, a self-improvement book, you can go to seminar after seminar. If your deal is, is retail, you've learned how to sell these widgets. You make these widgets in your garage and you're selling widgets on YouTube and on eBay and you're making a killing, you're making a living on your widgets your little widgets, and you can go get a book, Widgets for Dummies, and you can, you can perfect the art of business in selling your widget, and you can become a millionaire doing it. You can become very rich, very successful, but the tree in the middle of your garden is the wrong one. And all you have done is you have mastered the art of stupidly marching toward hell. That's all you've done. You've accomplished the same thing that Adam accomplished. We have no record that Adam ever repented. He got what was in the middle of the garden wrong. And then after he got that wrong, because he violated God's property rights, because he didn't understand, or at least he didn't didn't follow through with what he did understand about dominion, because he touched God's dominion, independent of God, not listening to God. And it was a violation of property instinct. He was removed from the garden, banished, and told, you can't come back, stay out. And that angel stood with a flaming sword, not allowing him to ever come back in. So this is the way that God is, and if you don't put him in the center of your life, and if you don't stay in orbit with him in the middle, if you don't listen carefully and fearfully to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 6, Verse 33, where he said very plainly, I can't even begin to understand why anyone would take this lightly. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And yet so many people sitting in so many churches will never seek him first. Never. They will always seek him second, fifth, or 51st. But for some reason, thousands upon thousands of Christians that go to church every week, We'll just never come to the place of obedience where Jesus and His kingdom are first. I ask you why. I ask you why. And I already know the answer when I ask you. It is because you are a firstborn. You're a born once mentality human. You, like Adam, have not been born a second time. And you don't see the world the same way. And when you're a twice-born, if you look into the center of the garden and find anything there except God Himself and honoring what belongs to God in the middle of your garden, you're really bugged about it. You can't stand it. You can't tolerate it. A twice-born human being who has taken on a new nature from God walks into Eden the, the angel with the flaming sword rolls out the welcome mat. It's yours. This is, belongs to you. You come into your dominion, your place in life, where all of a sudden your little widgets, the widgets that you were making, you learned how to make widgets and make money with it. It's not about you anymore. The widget's not about you. The widget's not in the middle of your garden. God's kingdom, what belongs to God is in the center of your garden. And the ability to make the widget belongs to God. And you're making widgets because you know he gave you the grace to do it. And you love to take the profit and the dominion that you acquire through the widget making and honor God with it. And he's in first position in the center. And see, Adam, I said this last time, Adam could come back from the dead and take your position in life, live in your house, and go to your job tomorrow. And he was so smart… And he was so far advanced than us, and we we say this with with good biblical authority. Adam used his entire brain, and we know, on our best day, I mean, they, they tell us Einstein, who was regarded as one of the smartest men in history, they evaluated his brain after he died. He gave his brain, donated it to science, and the frightening thing is they said he may have used a whole piece of his brain the size of a walnut. So most of that means you and I are literally pea brain. I mean, if Einstein used a walnut, probably most of us are, we're at a pea. We're at one green pea. That's what's firing all this this morning in the synopsis, one little tiny green pea. And Adam was using the whole thing. So if we put him back in your station in life, totally pagan, totally on his way to hell, he's a better businessman than you're ever going to be. He will take dominion faster and better than you can. And he knows how to do it, and he's, the, he's an artist at it. But you see, his problem is what many of you, your problems are. Regardless of your IQ, regardless of how smart you may, may be or may not be, I know a lot of people think lower of themselves, than they should say, I'm, you know, Pastor Kerry, I'm dumb. I'm just dumb. I know that. I, I, I flunked out of school. I can't figure out math. I can't do simple things. I know I'm not the smartest guy in the world. Listen to me. Being the smartest guy in the world didn't do you any good if God's not in first position. Okay, so we could make the argument, you could pass a test, you can do really good with math, you got your Ph.D. in organ music, whatever it is that you went and got your Ph.D. in. If, it, listen to me, if Jesus is not the center of your garden, you're a smart idiot. Does that make sense? You got all this intellect, and what good is it? You're going to hell. Okay? There are all kinds of smart people in hell, and I don't want to be one of those. And there are also a lot of dumb people in hell, too. So the real issue, everything, our center of gravity, what we have to come back to in every situation is what is in the middle of my garden. God, if I may make this personal for just a moment... And I intend to do it so that you can apply it to you. Insert your name. If God decided to give Cary Gordon dominion, He has. He's given me dominion. And He gave it to me with the plans on how to accomplish it and the skills to get it done. If God decided to give you dominion in a partnership with Him on His behalf, and you abscond with that power, that ability to make your widgets that He gave you. And the widget is in the middle of your garden. And you do it independently of God by proof of how you handle your finances, mind you. If you don't tithe, listen carefully. You need to hear this because I know many of you don't. I know that because I check. And it's my responsibility to check. Now, I'm going to say this. It's very candid. I want you to hear me. If you aren't tithing, God cannot be number one. He isn't. If you're not tithing, it is proof that you are independently taking dominion on this planet. You say that it shouldn't be all about money, but you're all about money. Because I know good and well you're going to work tomorrow because you want some of it. You're going to report to work sometimes, sadly, more faithfully than you'll report to the local church you, because, because money's important to you. And you'll go to work and you'll do it, at, you make your widgets or whatever it is that you do. And if you're not tithing on that, you have just shown yourself and everyone else in the body of Christ that God is not in first position in your life and you're in grave danger. And you need to hear this. And you have to understand there's all kinds of opinions about offerings, and I want to point out we already took our offering this morning so I'm not going to be taking up an offering after this sermon. It would be very very unfair of you to accuse me of manipulating you for an offering since we're not taking one. What I'm asking you to do is let's go back in time about 15 minutes about 15 minutes ago an offering basket passed you. I want you to self-scrutinize the motives of your heart and how you viewed the basket as it passed you. I just want you to go back in time and let's be honest with ourselves because you realize Jesus signed off on this kind of offering culture when it comes to dominion and the taking of it on behalf of the kingdom of God it is the business of everyone in the kingdom it is not your personal business now, this is very difficult for people in our culture to handle but I would remind you that in the culture of Jesus Christ when the offering was taken and people came down they did it in front of everyone in fact one of the most remarkable stories we have in the scripture and it's stemming from this concept of dominion and the taking of it is Jesus deliberately, the audacity, it's none of his business right? that's what we say in America, no it is his business it was his business and it's the preacher's business Jesus stood Nosily, not respecting people's private business, and stared at the bucket because everyone had to march in a line down the aisle. Now, we don't do this. Sometimes I think we should, but we don't. It's our culture, we just don't do this, right? But, it, but if we had taken an offering earlier today, and I had one big basket, and all of you had to step out in the aisle, and you walk down, and you, you reach in your pocket, and you pull out something, and you put it in the basket. Wouldn't it be interesting if while that was going on, I stood here and stared at each of you and watched your hand go in your pocket, and I watched, and then you pulled it out, and I, I looked in your hand. Wait, let me see. Oh, Okay, put that in. All right, next. Let me see. What are, you, what are you putting in? That would make you uncomfortable, wouldn't it? It did not make the Hebrews uncomfortable. This is what they did. And Jesus stood there looking over the basket, watching every hebrew person come down to put their money in to pay their tithes. That's what he did. And one of the most remarkable stories because it's a public deal. See, here's the thing. Generosity, the bible teaches that when it comes to generosity, which is something that you do with one another. You're generous with other people privately. Jesus said when you're acting in in an act of generosity, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. So generosity is something that is personal and private. But I want you to understand the difference between taking dominion together in harmony with God and being generous with one another. But let's not get confused about what happens in the church. Because the same Jesus that told us, be quiet about your generosity sideways with one another, believed, and I happen to agree with him, that what you do with your finances in the local church concerning the tithe is not just your business. It is the business of everyone here because you have an obligation before the congregation of God to pull your weight. You have an obligation before everyone else in here to pull your weight. If you're not pulling your weight and you're not bringing down the tithe and the line publicly with Jesus staring at what you're putting in that bucket, see, because that's not private now. This is public. Then you're confusing the difference between generosity and taking dominion. When we give the tithe, we're not being generous with God. There's no way to be generous to God, because God gave us everything we have. It's as silly as me loaning my cordless drill to Tom Nettleton, and two weeks later, Tom wraps up my cordless drill, puts a bow on it, and then says, I've got something for you. Here you go. Tell me if you like it. And I open it up, and it's my own cordless drill. That's weird. And thankfully, Tom would never do something that weird. I'm really happy about that. But, that. but this is what we're doing when we come to church and we think, number one, whether or not I tithe is my business and it's no one else's business. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong about that. And then secondly, when you come in and you're copying an attitude because you put something in the offering, oh, I tell you what, I was generous with God today. Yeah, yeah, me. I'm what I'm saying, you know. You're not, you're not generous with God. What are you talking about? The only reason you have any cash to give is because God blessed you with enough of a mind to sell your widget. So we're talking about taking dominion. You've got you to gotta shake off this Western attitude about tithes and offerings and confusing that with generosity. This has been Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. God Himself blew on history so that there would be a light. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com Extra Ecclesium Nulla Salus. There is no salvation outside of the church. Thank you for tuning in.